Good morning and welcome to Billericay Baptist Church. It's great to have you with us. My name's Tom. I'm part of the ministry team here and um, I'm really pleased that you've tuned in to share this Sunday morning worship with us today. Before we begin the service, I'd like to start with prayer and then I'd like to read a passage of scripture which we're going to be looking at more in the service later on. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the world that you've given us. Lord, thank you for all the good things that surround us and for all the opportunities and for all the joy that you bring into our lives. And Father, this morning as we're sitting in our own homes watching this service, we pray, Lord, that you will remind us that even if we're on our own, even if we're the only person in our houses, then you are still there with us. We are never truly alone because we have a God who is omnipresent who is with us wherever we are, wherever we go, who is in our heart and surrounding us as well. And so, Father, we pray for your blessing upon us this morning. We pray that you will um, reach into our hearts, that you will open our eyes, that you will bring us a deeper appreciation of your love for us and of how you want us to live our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So I've come outside once again for this morning's service because it's again another beautiful day and it's worth making the most of any opportunity we have at the moment um, to come outside. It's something that we certainly don't take for granted anymore. I'm going to read a passage of scripture now from Luke's Gospel. So if you've got a Bible with you, please turn to uh, Luke chapter 13. If you haven't got a Bible, please feel free to press pause and go and find one. Or maybe if you've got another device, you can find it online. But we're reading from Luke chapter 19, starting at verse 1. Now there were some present at that time who told Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. Jesus answered, Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you too will all perish. Or those 18 who died when the Tower of Siloam fell on them, do you think they were more guilty than all the others living in Jerusalem? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you too will all perish. Then he told this parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he went to look for fruit on it but didn't find any. So he said to the man who took care of the vineyard, For three years now I've been coming to look for fruit on this fig tree and haven't found any. Cut it down. Why should it use up the soil? Sir, the man replied, leave it alone for one more year and I'll dig around it and fertilise it. If it bears fruit next year, fine. If not, then cut it down. Now, the reason I wanted to share that passage this morning and that I wanted us to, to think and learn about that passage is because we've had a lot of talk this week of coming out of lockdown. Hooray! Fantastic! Except we're not. But apart from that, we've had a lot of talk about it and it's got people thinking what, what the world might look like when we come out of lockdown, when this, when this, um, this current um, situation is beginning to improve a bit, where maybe the virus is, is under control to such an extent that we can leave our own homes and maybe try to get back to some sort of normality. Now, of course, that's a great idea and we would all welcome the time when it comes. But in the meantime, it gives us an opportunity to wonder how the world's going to be any different. 
How is our country going to be different? How is our neighbourhood going to be different? And how is our church going to be different? We don't know these things. They're questions that we're just beginning to battle with now and the answers will, will slowly but surely make themselves clear, we hope, in the coming months. One thing for sure is that we're going to face some questions about our faith. It's going to be very awkward at times because people are going to be wanting to know, how can you have a faith? Look around us. We don't know what's going to happen. We live in fear of a, 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 second, um, a second wave of, of, of cases of coronavirus, a second lockdown. There are some people who live in fear because they don't know if they're going to have a job at the end of all this. There are some people who are struggling to pay their rent. There are some people who, um, who have lost loved ones or maybe who are particularly vulnerable from a health point of view and are really worried about catching coronavirus because, let's face it, the virus is still going to be there even after lockdown finishes. With all this anxiety, with all this lack of clarity around, how can you possibly believe in a God that you say is all-knowing, has absolute authority and has got this entire situation under control? How can you believe in a God that has allowed this to happen, that has allowed the, um, the suffering and the pain and the fear to take such a grip of the world? These are the sorts of questions that many Christians dread. And at these times, we can often find ourselves struggling for answers. You see, I find that we always struggle for answers when we try and answer questions in our own steam rather than under the steam of the, of the scriptures. And sure enough, we find Jesus asking, being asked exactly those sorts of questions in this passage that we've just looked at this morning. You see... Jesus is obviously living in the midst of two major local news headlines that have really stirred the people. People are talking about them. People come to him and challenge him. How can this happen? Now, these aren't Pharisees coming to try and trip Jesus up. These are genuine Galileans coming for answers. They're putting enough faith in Jesus to come and ask him, why did these things happen? First of all, it appears that there was a group of Galileans in a, a town or a village worshipping in a synagogue and Pilate, Pontius Pilate, sent troops to kick in the doors, go in and slaughter all the people. And to make matters even worse, the thing that really riled these Galileans was the fact that the people worshipping had been performing a sacrifice, an animal sacrifice, something that the Jews used to do on a regular basis to atone, offer God atonement for their sin. And so there was blood everywhere already. Sacrifices were not a clean thing. They were messy. And there was animal blood everywhere. And when the Roman soldiers went in and drew their swords and attacked and slaughtered these worshipping Galileans, the blood of the Galileans was mixed with the blood of the animals. This was a slap in the face to all those Galileans. And so they come to Jesus and they say, how on earth have you allowed this to happen? How on earth does God sanction this sort of thing? That was the first instance. The second was that the, the tower of Siloam had collapsed, killing 18 Galileans. Now again, we don't know 
where this tower was. Some say that it was part of the fortifications around Jerusalem that were being constructed at the time and a tower collapsed and killed the workers. Others say that um, there was there was a pool, a water source, a pool of Siloam, um, and there was a tower being built to defend it. Others say that it was part of a Roman aqueduct that was being built at the time. There's archaeological evidence to support all of these different explanations, but no one is entirely sure quite what or where the Tower of Siloam was. But the important thing is, these people have clearly heard the news and they've been affected by it to such an extent that they come to Jesus and they ask him. They ask him about these events. They want an answer. They want to know. Where was your God? Where was this, this God that you speak of? If you're the son of God, how has this been allowed to happen? This act of state-sanctioned terror. When Pilate sends in his soldiers to slaughter these people, why has this happened? God's meant to be on our side, not the Romans. And then secondly, this, this seemingly random accident, 18 innocent lives lost. I mean, fair enough, you can point at Pilate and say, well, that, that's evil. But this is just an accident. It may have been shoddy workmanship, poor foundations, or it might have simply it might have been an earth tremor. Who knows what it was, what triggered it, what caused it? We don't know. But these people wanted answers because they had, they had suffered loss. They had been hurt. And so Jesus finds himself in a situation, just like we might find ourselves in the weeks, months, maybe even years to come, when people say, in all this chaos, all this hardship, all this suffering, all this grief and hurt, where's your God? I wonder how you intend to answer those questions when they come your way. It can be really difficult to answer questions like that. I've come here this morning, for those of you wondering where I am, I'll tell you. I'm actually in Ramsden Heath. Behind me, and over, over into these woods you can see behind me, um, this used to be the heathland in Ramsden Heath. And it was my boyhood stomping ground. I've got loads and loads of great memories of things that, that me and my friends and my brother used to get up to on, on this very place. But you see, this used to be the heathland, Ramsden Heath. The heath was um, was just off over to, to my right, your left, over here. And interestingly, when I was about eight or nine years old, so um, 25 to 30 years ago, this was barren, bleak. It was a heath. There was nothing, no, it was featureless. There was nothing. You could see right from here to Hanningfield Reservoir. And then one day, bulldozers turned up and diggers and the whole place was turned from this, this beautiful barren heathland to a building site. It looked awful. There was earth being moved from one place to another. There was, there was holes being dug. There was holes being filled in. And people were absolutely outraged by it. What about the wildlife? What about the birds? What about the dog walkers? For a long, long time, villagers were very upset that their heath had been destroyed Anyway, once the earth had been completely devastated, the place just, it just looked awful. It was just uh, acre after acre after acre of mud. 
And then suddenly they started planting these little trees and they were pathetic. They were these tiny little twigs and they had the plastic collars round them and all you could see was just plastic tubes for, for miles. It looked terrible. This beautiful habitat, this landscape had been lost. And even as a, as a young child, I was really upset by this. I felt a sense of righteous indignation that someone had come into my playground and ruined it. How dare they? What was going on? You see, in the short term, if someone had said to me, look, have faith, it's going to be okay. One day, this place is going to be more beautiful than you can possibly imagine. One day, there's going to be more trees to climb than, than you could possibly climb in a lifetime. One day, you're going to stand here and you're going to look and you're going to think, this is such a nice spot, I'm going to preach a sermon here. If someone had said that to me when I was eight years old, I would have said, you're mad. But you see, they would have been right. In the immediate devastation of this landscape, I wouldn't have believed them. I would have said, there's no way, you've ruined it. You've ruined this landscape, it looks awful. I don't believe that one day it's gonna be, it's gonna be this beautiful natural habitat, it's gonna look amazing, it's gonna be full of birds, it's gonna be flourishing and thriving and there's gonna be all manner of wildlife. I don't believe you. But you see, sometimes when we're asked in the middle of a crisis, why, we have to take a long-term view. In this passage of scripture, when the Galileans come to Jesus in the middle of a crisis, in the middle of their, their time of sadness and suffering, when they're asking the big questions, they say to him, why has this happened? Jesus doesn't give a short-term answer. He focuses on the long term. And that's what we're going to look at when I reach my next location. So there's Jesus being asked these questions, the sort of questions that trouble all of us from time to time. Why has your God allowed this to happen? How can you believe in God in a world where there is this sort of suffering and all these bad things going on? And we can learn a lot from Jesus's response because Jesus doesn't respond by trying to explain what's happened. He doesn't try to rationalise it. He doesn't try to justify what God's done and explain to people how actually this makes perfect sense in the context of faith and the context of scripture. He doesn't spend time doing that. Instead, Jesus, Jesus is fully aware how precarious life is. He knows that we're all gonna die, whether it's through an act of slaughter sponsored by a, a leader who is just brutal, or whether it's a building site accident that no one saw coming, or whether it's a global pandemic that strikes the world 2,000 years later and indiscriminately kills over 300,000 people in just a few months. We are all going to die in one way or another. And so Jesus uses this opportunity not to defend God, not to try and justify what's happened, but instead to show people that actually we need to be prepared we cannot be prepared, we cannot know when our time is going to come, but we have to be prepared for it spiritually. We have to make sure that at any time we are right with God. And that can only come through repentance. That can only come through standing before God and saying, Lord, forgive me, for I am a sinner. And when we do that, because of what Jesus later did on the cross, we will be forgiven of our sin 
our repentance will be acknowledged by God. And so when Jesus is asked these questions about these situations, the, the, the tragedies of the day, the, the news headlines, if you like, he tries to go to great lengths to point out to us that we mustn't equate earthly tragedy with divine judgment. The Galileans who died here didn't die as a, a, a punishment from God. This was not a prophecy being fulfilled. This was not a group of people who had been warned that they, they were going against God's will and therefore they would be punished. This is, this is not divine judgment. These, these, were, these were events that just happened. Now, sometimes, of course, we read in scriptures many, many times that God warns, people, warns the Israelites that if they don't turn back to him, if they continue, continue worshipping false gods or, or pursuing military campaigns that God doesn't approve of, then he will punish them, and he does. But this is not, that's not what's happening in this passage. Instead, people die, pure and simply. And in this passage, Jesus is telling us not to, not to focus on how or why, not to focus on the brutality, the suddenness of death, not to focus on the, the, the torment of death, but instead... Jesus chooses to talk about repentance. Jesus wants us to focus on repentance. Whenever we come face to face with death, we should be reminded as Christians that we are all going to die at some point. Becoming a Christian doesn't mean that you're not going to die. It doesn't mean that you're immune from coronavirus or from state-sponsored terrorism or from, from a, a, a mere accident. We're all going to die at some point. And the important thing is making sure that when we stand face to face before God, on the day of judgment, we have Jesus in our corner. You see, all of us are suffering from a global pandemic, the pandemic of sin. Sin is throughout the world. Everybody is a sinner. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, Paul writes in Romans. So you see, sin is sort of this universal condition. Repentance is the universal antidote and forgiveness is the universal cure. Jesus says twice in this passage, unless you repent, you will all perish. Now, of course, we would all die whether or not we repent. But if we repent, then we acknowledge God. We acknowledge God as the, the one with the power to forgive sin. We acknowledge Jesus as the saviour of the world, the saviour of each one of us individually, personally. And so when Jesus talks here, he's talking eschatologically, which basically means he's talking about the end times, judgment day, Armageddon, whatever you want to call it, the end of days. That's what Jesus is talking about. And he's saying, you will perish if you haven't repented of your sin, if you haven't come before God and acknowledged him and the need that you have for him in your life. You see, the world is full of different illustrations of Satan, the devil, and often he's this bright red chap with a little goatee beard and hooves and a forked tail and he carries a, a, a pitchfork and yeah you know it can be made out to look pretty scary but there is nothing more terrifying for a Christian than being cut off from God for eternity that's the scary thing hell full of 
demons and monsters and scary things and pits of fire and stuff, that's all very well, but there is nothing more frightening than an eternity cut off from God. And Jesus is saying to these people, however you die, whenever you die, make sure that you don't perish because you haven't repented of your sin. Make sure that you have prepared yourself before God spiritually for that moment. Now at the moment we find ourselves in these strange times when we're shut inside, we're, we're often not allowed out unless we come to secluded places like where I am now. I'm not going to tell you by the way. And at these times when we read headlines about people dying and we read the headlines about how um, we might not have a vaccine for this virus, for the coronavirus, for months if not years to come, we read about how um, as a church, even if we do reopen, we're not going to be able to um, have services like we've had before. There's going to have to be social distancing and there's going to have to be many, many other measures taken. As we face with all these challenges, we find ourselves in a world where, where tragedy and hardship surround us. These are trivial difficulties, that, uh, questions and challenges that we're going to have to face in the months to come. But tragedy and hardship are all around us. But let's not forget that tragedy and hardship always nudge people toward God. Tragedy and hardship nudge these Galileans towards Jesus to go and ask him to try and find some sort of an answer. And Jesus directed them to repent. Now, I'm not suggesting that we should go out into the world and tell everybody to repent of their sin, because that's a bit too, too much like the turn and burn theology that used to be preached and that put off so many people from coming to church. But at the same time, at the same time, we need to encourage people to acknowledge God. We need to remind people that, that there is this, this pandemic of sin, that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, that every single one of us is a sinner. And you see, repentance is, is it's the only way that we can break the hold that that virus of sin has over us. It's the only way that we can, that we can begin to, to cure ourselves. But it's not a one-off hit. It's not a one-off hit that we, we pray for repentance once and that's it, job done. Because we are sinners. It's, it's in us. Sin is in us. It's in you and it's in me. Instead, we should think of repentance a bit like the flu vaccine. I've never bothered going for a flu jab and one day I'll get flu and regret it. But... Um, Every year, people who have the flu jab have to be re-jabbed because every year the flu virus mutates into some sort of new strand of virus. The proteins restructure themselves somehow and, and they can get around the, the, uh, the um, flu jab that was given to people the year before. And so flu is an ongoing problem. Every year, we need to be re-immunised against the new strands of flu. In the same way, Every day, every week, every month, we need to be repentant before God. We need to be acknowledging that we are fallen, but with him in our lives, we are saved. And only with him in our lives. You see, at the moment, there are a lot of people asking a lot of questions. The government has acknowledged that churches, places of worship, need to be reopened sooner rather than later because there are an awful lot of people that want to go and pray, that want to go and spend some spiritual, reflective, meditative time. And those people are going to bring with them all sorts of questions, all sorts of challenges that we're going to have to face. 
And if we can't answer them, if we can't give a, a, a good, helpful answer, then they're not going to come back. So I urge you, in this week and in the weeks ahead, challenge yourself. Ask yourself, where is God in this? If someone comes into church and says, why has your God allowed this to happen? What am I going to say? How am I going to explain that? How am I going to answer them in a way that isn't, isn't pithy and cheap, but instead is genuine and sincere, has a depth to it and challenges that person and makes them think about the answer that I give them? You see, ultimately, if we're going to follow the example of Jesus, then we need to encourage those people down a path that will eventually lead them to acknowledge God and acknowledge their need to repent before him. And if we can do that, then we are going to be on a very, very positive journey together because we're going to be building God's kingdom quicker than we ever thought that we would. So opportunities are going to come out of this virus. There's going, to be, there's going to be chances for us to have conversations with people that we wouldn't have had before that. And we should thank God that he is a God who can bring positives and bring opportunity out of any situation, no matter how bleak it may seem to us when we first approach him. I'm going to head off now to my third and final location. And there we're going to talk about Jesus's parable that he closes this passage with. So here we are at the third and final location for this morning's sermon. And the reason that I wanted to come here is because um, we're in a quiet corner of my back garden and over my shoulder, just here, is a fig tree. Now, this fig tree was given to us seven years ago. And as you can see, it's green, it's lush, it's healthy, it's, it's doing really well, except for one problem. We have never had a single fig off this tree. Every year we give it fresh soil, we, we prune it sometimes, we've, we've, we've contacted the people who gave us it in the first place, the company we got it from, um, so-called fig experts, and they've come up with no explanation at all. They've suggested it's diseased, but it's not. They've suggested that um, the, the conditions are wrong, but we've double-checked and the conditions are fine. It's a really healthy tree, except it doesn't bear fruit. Now, as you'll remember, at the end of the passage that we're looking at today, Jesus talks about a fig tree. Let me just remind you of what he says. He tells this parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he went to look for fruit on it, but he didn't find any. So he said to the man who took care of the vineyard, for three years now, I've been coming to look for fruit on this fig tree and haven't found any. Cut it down. Why should it use up the soil? Sir, the man replied, leave it alone for one more year and I'll dig round it and fertilise it. If it bears fruit next year, fine. If not, cut it down. So Jesus tells this parable just at the end of the passage where he's been challenged with these difficult questions, where he's taken an opportunity to talk to people about, um, about the day of judgment, about the need for repentance and the need to make sure that we are put right with God before that day arrives. Then he comes into this parable about a fig tree. It's very frustrating having a fig tree that doesn't grow any figs, because what's the point? Over here, I've got an apple tree. We get apples on a regular basis from that tree. Every year it, it, it blossoms, it's just finished blossoming this year, and um, come September time, there'll be loads of apples on it. Great. But the fig tree, nothing. It takes effort. 
it takes water, it takes soil. And to be honest, I'm having to fight, fight its corner. You see, every year, Joe says, let's just abandon it. Let's either replace it or let's just give up. Let's, it's, it's, it's taking up a lot of space, it's getting bigger and bigger, and it doesn't give us any fruit. And for the past couple of years now, I've found myself saying, let's just give it one more year. Let's give it one more year. Although even I am beginning to get a bit fed up with it, to be honest. Now, I don't think we will get rid of a perfectly healthy tree, but I can understand the, the man in the vineyard asking his gardener, what's the point of keeping this tree? It sits there, it takes water out of the soil, it takes goodness out of the soil, it takes up space in my vineyard where I could have something else growing which does bear fruit, which I could then sell. This is, this, this is, this is costing me, this is a drain on my resources, this fig tree. And it's not doing what it's supposed to be doing. It's not doing what I've put it there to do. Jesus tells this parable to these Galileans. These Galileans who are, who are struggling to come to terms with recent tragic events. And he tells them this story to remind them that we live our lives day by day. We go through all the different experiences, the ups and downs, the, the roller coaster of life. And we learn, and we see things, and we come to our own decision about God. And for so many people in the world, God is an irrelevance. God is a nothing. God is a, a, a moral fable at best, a waste of time at worst. For Christians, for people who have spent time with, with, with the Holy Spirit, for people who have come to recognise that there is a place for God in today's world, we need to make sure that we're not like this fig tree. We need to make sure that we are not simply healthy Christians, that we are not simply people who habitually go to church and sing the songs and pray the prayers and read the scriptures. There's nothing wrong in that. But ultimately, we have a purpose. We have a mission. We have a mission to make sure that we bear the fruit that God has put us here to bear. Now, I'm not just talking about going and making disciples of all nations, baptising in the name of the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit that Jesus told us to do in Matthew 28. I'm not just speaking about seeking and saving the lost. I'm not just speaking about bearing the, the different aspects of the fruit of the Spirit. You see, all those things are very important. But each and every one of us has been given a task in life has been put here for a purpose. In this lockdown period, how much time are we spending with God, asking him to reveal to us his plan for us, what he wants us to do? How much time are we spending asking God to make known to us what our purpose here is? You see, every single one of us can be used by God, but only if we, if we make the effort not to simply sit in our own bit of soil, soaking up his goodness and, and having healthy foliage. Instead, we need to put the work in. We need to be bearing fruit. We need others to see, see us and to reap the benefit of our presence. What, what benefit do we bring to people? We need to make sure that we, we are kind, that we are generous, that we are that we are the sort of people that, that bring happiness into the world. Each and every one of us has a different type of fruit to bear. You see, 
In Ephesians chapter 2, we read these words from Paul. It is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And this, not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. We all have these these good works that God has prepared for us to do. And we need to make sure that we recognise that. We need to make sure that we, we know the work that God has in store for us. So, of course, I'm not saying that we should negate the fruit of the Spirit. We should still make sure that, that in all things we, we show the fruit of the Spirit. We show love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. These are all good things. I can't think of a single person I know who, who, who wouldn't call themselves a Christian who would look at that list and say, no, I don't agree that they're good. All of those things benefit people around us. They bring, they, they bring a presence to the world which the world doesn't always know. We can make that difference. But also, each and every one of us has a specific work to do, specific fruit to bear. Now, we can just sit in the corner of this uh, of this, this vineyard that we call earth and God can come by and look at us and see that we're, we're happily growing and looking nice but we're not actually bearing any fruit we're not actually doing the work that he wants us to do we need to make sure that we are spreading the word of God in all that we do through our words, through our actions, through our very presence that people see Jesus in us, through us Because there's a stark warning in this parable. The world is full of good people. The world is full of of people who who are just a, a joy to be with. People who have very healthy foliage, who look strong and lush and and great. But they don't know God. They have never experience the power of the Holy Spirit. They have never read the words of Jesus Christ. And so because of that, they have never and they will never bear the fruit that God wants them to bear until somebody introduces them to Jesus. That's the job that we have to do. That's a job that we can we can do more and more powerfully in the wake of this pandemic, when people have been reminded that they're not quite as in control as they maybe once thought they were, when people have been reminded that no matter how much material wealth or financial wealth we have, we are not immune to this tiny, tiny little germ that can attack us at any moment and bring us to our knees. Maybe it's time that we remind people gently that we're also not immune to sin, but that we have a God who asks us to repent so that he can forgive our sin, so that he can show his love, his grace, his peace and his mercy to us, and that one day, whenever we happen to leave this earth, whether it's through a barbaric act, whether it's through a mere accident, whether it's through a virus, or whether it's just through old age, we will stand before him. He will recognise us, he will know us, and he will welcome us home to take up residence in the room that he has prepared for us 
in his house. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that you made each and every one of us because you love us. And we thank you, Lord, that you have a plan for us, that you have work for us to do, that you have ordained each one one of us for a purpose. And Lord, we pray that you will help us to make time in the coming days to, to seek that purpose, to ask you what it is that you want us to be doing, and then to have the courage to get on and do it. Father, we know that you are always with us, that we don't face any challenge or any question alone. And so, Lord, we pray that in the, in the coming weeks, as we face these questions, you will give us the words, you will give us the wisdom to answer them, to show people that there is a place for you in this world. And it's a place that they need to come to. So, Father, we do repent of our sin. We do thank you for your forgiveness. And we do acknowledge that without you, we cannot bear the fruit that we wish to bear. So, Father, we give ourselves to you and we thank you for your love, your goodness and your grace. In Jesus' name, Amen. Well, I'm off to carry on enjoying the sunshine. Have an excellent week. If you're you're working, God be with you. If you're at home on your own, God is with you. Have a great week and we'll catch you again next Sunday. Take care.